Good evening, everybody. Brian Newbert here from goldenblack.com, live with our Twin Cities Bureau, Tom Deanhart, here for our Saturday simulcast following Purdue's 20 to 10 upset win over Minnesota. Uh, thank you to our good friends at the Premium Club Hotel for your continued support, home of the Boiler Up Bar and the 811 Bistro. We will jump right into it. You know, Purdue goes up to Minnesota after a very lackluster first four games of the season, uh, all told. They were, in some circles, a double-digit underdog. Uh, Minnesota has had their number uh, here the last couple of years. But, you know, Tom, as the old folks say, kind of goes to show you never can tell, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of one word that would really sum up today's uh, proceedings. Maybe resourceful. Uh, um, pretty found a way, Brian. It wasn't pretty. For a second week in a row now, the offense really uh, – just struggled to do much of much of anything, especially from a big play standpoint. For most of the game, you know, Minnesota sat back in that 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 two deep shell, and they were not going to get beat by the long pass. And, right. and sure enough, Purdue's longest catch was that twenty-eight yarder I think Charlie Jones had, which was a huge catch. Yeah, set up that field goal by Mitchell Fenneran. But you know, Purdue Purdue took its shots running the football. I thought they were pretty patient. If you look at the final numbers. Running the ball, they're pretty good for Purdue. By the way, Brian, this is now two weeks in a row. Purdue's had a walk-on running back, rushed for over 100 yards. So there you go. And uh, so, yeah, the, uh, uh, the the Minnesota defense, like I said, wasn't going get to beat, get beat deep. And uh, Purdue was patient. It got real sluggish during the second and third quarters. I, I kind of thought at some time, Brian, I, I don't know what you thought. If you ever thought maybe a, a, why not have a quarterback switch? Um, I didn't know if Aiden O'Connell was 100%. He didn't look 100% to me, but, but by the way, he was throwing the football. And, uh, again, the offense was sluggish. Minnesota was begging to get beat. But you always wondered it was pretty going to find a way to make plays to win the game. And come crunch time, they did on both sides of the ball, Brian. So, again, you know, there, there's a lot of niche you can pick about Purdue, but they found a way to win. They're 3-2 and two overall, 1-1 one one in the Big Ten. Going to Maryland with a chance to uh, to add to their resume and, and and sort of obviously work on some of those flaws that we all saw that were apparent today. Yeah, I just thought that this was kind of uh, the same script kind of unfolding. I thought the offense was, you know, again, sort of leaving the defense hung out to dry. Uh, I don't think you could ask any more from that defense than what you got today. It was an, just an exceptional game from that group. Um. But they did just enough. You know, it was the opposite of the games before, whereas you didn't have answers at the end of games, and now suddenly you did because all 10 of Purdue's second-half points came on their final two drives, and uh, they just made the plays at the end that they weren't able to make against Penn State and they weren't able to make against Syracuse. And I, I just think that that's a, a really positive sign, um, you know, for Purdue. I think that, you know, I think, I think we'd be remiss to not mention the fact Minnesota was down a couple of big offensive pieces. But just the way that defense played, that that uh, the defensive line I thought was really good. You saw a lot of really big time individual plays from guys like Jack Sullivan on on the interception he forced. Corday Corday Sidnor made a really nice play, kind of coming off a block on the edge to get a tackle for loss, and they just did a good job. Mm -hmm. Hydron Jenkins, uh, as a pass rusher, made a big play uh, for a, sack, a strip sack that ended up being a gain for Minnesota. I just thought they were really active in their front. I liked their their pre-snap movement uh I, I thought maybe that probably helped them a little bit I thought the linebackers played well and that was a huge question coming into this because this was a different style 
of play from what Purdue has faced in the first four games. Uh, the secondary, the much maligned secondary. Corey Trice looked like a all Big Ten player today. Yeah, biggest defensive play of the game, probably, uh, or the second biggest defensive play of the game. Not counting Cam Allen's interception that fell in his lap in the end zone, was that breakup by Bryce Hampton on that third down. That's the same Bryce Hampton that on Monday Jeff Brom intimated was behind Brandon Calloway, who doesn't hasn't really played yet at corner. That was mm-hmm. everybody who had a chance to make a play today did. You know, Cam Allen caught the interceptions that were thrown to him. Uh, there were a lot of big time breakups and just a really good all around performance from that Purdue defense. From the players, the coaches did a great job this week. It sure seemed like the tackling was better, with the exception of that one big play. What did you kind of see from that defense relative to what you'd seen? Yeah, you're you know, right. The first month, what really changed? Do you think? Well, I mean, you know, Jeff, Jeff Brom was asked obviously about that defensive effort in the post game, and he said, Brian, that they, they did a little, little bit of, of, of disguising things, what they're trying to do. He said they had a solid base defense, and then in the bottom line was they wanted to try to create some confusion for that Minnesota offense. Yeah, and he did think, Brian. He didn't mention specifically. He thought they did tackle better, and they did keep the ball in front of them. Uh, there, there weren't. Uh, I can look at the stats. Minnesota, I don't think had very many real big plays. You know, they had that what that sixty-six yard catch they had, but again, Snoozy came missed a tackle on that, and Reese Taylor wasn't really aware. I don't want to take anything away from Minnesota, but you know, Purdue really was its own worst enemy on that long pass um, that the Gophers were able to strike on. But again, you know, the the longest run for the Gophers, Brian, was just nine yards. And, again, I talked about that pass. It went for 66 yards, a couple other 28-yarders. So Purdue did a good job in limiting the big plays. Tanner Morgan, Brian, you know, the, the famed Purdue killer, was 18-33 today for 257 yards, no touchdowns, and three picks. You know, only 55% of his passes. He was so, bad. Yeah, he was bad. Yeah, you you got to credit Ron English in that defense. Jeff Brom said they spent a lot of time this week working on stuff. Uh, Ron English had thought maybe he'd been too aggressive in some of these earlier games, Brian. Uh, you still want to pick your shots. You mentioned some of the Purdue personnel that stood out. I- I'm happy for Bryce Hampton, right? That's the kid who gave up the winning touchdown pass at Syracuse. Didn't play a snap uh, last week. And like you said, Jeff Brom intimated he was behind Brandon Calloway at the presser this week. So good for Bryce Hampton. Reese Taylor got back on the field to provide some cornerback relief to Jamari Brown. And to Corey Trice, too. And, yeah, up front, yeah, Branson, Dean Corday sitting there, you know, Kydron Jenkins, Jack Sullivan, uh, that famed depth Mark Hagan always talks about, Brian. That was on full display today, and it really paid off, uh, helped keeping some heat on the Gophers. And like you said, let's not forget, I'm not, again, I'm not diminishing anything Purdue did, but not having number 24, Mo Abraham, was a big deal for the Gophers, obviously. And a couple of weeks ago, they lost their best wide receiver for the season to an injury in Chris Altman Bell. But again, I'm not I'm not diminishing anything Purdue did today. Great win uh, to come up here as a double-digit underdog, Brian, uh, to win this ball game really resets the de- the deck and the stack for Purdue, and I think it has to make them feel very good about themselves as they as they move forward here in this what I think is a make or break October. You know, I thought it was really clutch defense by Purdue because I thought you got to a point there in the second half where it looked like you just kind of felt like Minnesota was eventually going to break one in the running game. Maybe not a touchdown, but one of those 25 to 30-yard runs that all of a sudden flips the field and 
and kind of puts Purdue back on its heels. Uh, but Purdue never let it happen because every time they got Minnesota in third down, they came up with a huge stop. And I think that's kind of one of the stories of this game. One of the broad themes for Purdue is when Purdue needed to do something on either side of the ball, they did it. And that's the opposite of what we saw through the first four games of the season. Now, obviously, they won the FAU game by, by making the stops they needed by scoring when they needed to. But Penn State, you know, Syracuse, I, that's the great thing about college football is that every every game's kind of a, a season unto itself. And just when you think you know what's going to happen, something else happens. Um, you know, a huge key to this game, I think, and I'm going to keep beating this drum, is when you're playing somebody like Minnesota and you score early, that was an exceptional drive by the offense to start the game. Um, when they get that touchdown on the board early, do you think P.J. Fleck goes for that insane fourth down in his own territory if Purdue's not up 7 nothing, If that's a 0-0 game, do you think he does that? I don't think so. I think the combination of being behind, yeah. uh, playing at home, thinking you have some momentum, it's homecoming. And, uh, you know, I, I think he probably regrets making that decision. I think Purdue got a field goal on that drive. They did. And, uh, yeah, you know, Brian, this game really unfolded as Purdue – would have wanted right. I mean, they couldn't have scripted better themselves. They uh, they they got a lead right, and uh, they, they 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 never trailed in this ball game. It got tied up obviously at ten ten, but it, it was perfect. They were able to play with that lead. Uh, they just never were really able to, to add to it throughout the course of the game. And and you talked about the way the offense and the defense both delivered in crunch time in the fourth quarter, right? Um, you had the the, the interception. That uh, that was key. No, actually, actually, let me think, Brian. Real, real back in the sequence here. Now, Purdue had forced a three and out, I think, after they had taken a lead. And then I think on the next drive was when Mockaby had the long run, and then went into for, for the touchdown that made it twenty to ten. Uh, so it, it was just nice to see the defense and the offense both sort of, you know, like I said, play make make big plays in crunch time in the fourth quarter to help seal this game and put it away. It's just so important when you score early because it influences the way the game unfolds. And, you know, every point mattered here, as, as it always does. Uh, obviously, the final score is 20 to 10, but Purdue's not in the position to put up that last touchdown if they don't have, you know, uh, some of those opportunities. Taking the seven points off the board from Minnesota, albeit that was Minnesota's fault. That was just dumb luck that Minnesota, you know, get gets viciously attacked in the chest by a touchdown pass and, you know, you know, Cam Allen's able to just basically get the easiest interception of the year. That was just all the weird stuff went Purdue's way this year, it feels like. Whereas, you know, the weird stuff has been really happening for Minnesota. When you look at weather stuff, when you look at the offensive pass interference, when you look at Elijah Sindelar and Rondell Moore getting hurt on the same play, it was encouraging from Purdue's perspective, I think, to get a little bit of luck in this one. You know, they miss like a 25-yard field goal. They get called for a personal foul that keeps Purdue on the field. They drop a touchdown that results in a turnover. Sometimes you got to make your own breaks, and Purdue did get a lot of breaks uh, today, and I'm sure that's that's something that was a really cathartic feeling for them because, you know, they have been on the wrong side of some bad breaks here through the first month of the season. Some of them are their own fault, but uh, it has to be just a an over-the-moon type of feeling for Purdue flying back from Minnesota to have won this game, to have beaten Minnesota Big Ten style. You know, as mm -hmm. I keep saying over and over again, sometimes Purdue just needs to be solid. Don't beat itself. It's what they did tonight is or today. They, they kind of sat back, did what they needed to do, and let Minnesota be the one to screw up. And 
just that kind of role reversal was a, a, a really, really, um, a really, really positive thing for Purdue to see. I think Purdue still needs to score more. You know, I, I think, you know, you, you started off 10-0 pretty early in the game. Then you don't score in the second quarter and you don't score in the third quarter. And then you don't score until there's like five minutes left on that big kick by Mitchell Finner, who we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. You know, he he had missed a couple of kicks. He probably started to worry a little bit about his confidence. Comes up really big again today. Um, but how do you think the offense evens this out? And, you know, puts puts a full 60 minutes together of productivity. Yeah, real quick, that 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 big sequence I was referring to, Brian Finner kicked the 25-yard field goal to make it 13 to 10. Then Purdue forced a three and out, and they got the ball back, and that's when Mockaby had the big run to set up his own touchdown run. Yeah. Then Minnesota was picked off by Cam Allen for his second INT of the game. So just a big sequence there where the offense and the defense both stepped up. Right. How did they even it all out? I think hopefully Aiden O'Connell continues to get healthier and healthier because, like I said, I don't think he's 100%. No, I don't. And uh, we saw how he looks. We know what he looks like when he's full go, right, the Penn State and Syracuse game. I know he got hurt against Syracuse, but still played through that through for over 400 yards. So you got to get him back to that, that type of mode where he's dialed in and throwing for three, 400 yards a game. And, and it's certainly – I know the offense is still functioning at, at a high level in some regards these first four or five games, but that number two target, Brian, still really has not emerged for Purdue, right? We all know about Charlie Jones, but, you know, T.J. Sheffield, Deion Burks, uh, nobody else has really stepped up to be that complement to Charlie Jones. I think that would give this offense a whole other dimension when you sprinkle in Payne Durham. And now some of the ability in the backfield that Devin Mockaby's providing from a big play standpoint so I, I think that's what Purdue has to hope for is is Aiden O'Connor can get healthy I I asked Jeff Rahm after the game is Aiden okay any idea if he's going to be ready for next week and you know they'll they'll see where he's at you know he, he didn't make one statement for or against uh, his availability next week but he said they had him all padded up and they think he came out okay but obviously they'll, they'll evaluate everybody when they get back to West Lafayette you think he's going to be ready and like I said, hopefully he gets healthier and healthier here and, and gets that form he had earlier this season to make that offense as effective as we all know it can be. Did he get hit today? I don't remember him taking any really big shots. That's a really positive thing. He was, he was sacked a couple times, I know, but I don't remember him getting drilled. You know, he yeah. took off running a couple times. That was a big play, that, that third down conversion he made with his legs. That was a huge play. That was big, so yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't think he ever got drilled. He looked good talking to him in the post game. Whatever that's worth. Um, but, yeah, you think he came out of this thing, you know, uh, with all his wits about him and healthy as well. So, um, like I said, we'll, we'll, we can check with Jeff Rahm on Monday for sure after they get back that with everybody and watch some films. So, uh, that, that's the big one is just getting him right. Yeah. So this, so this, so this Devin Mockaby character, you yeah. know, I've been, I've been trying to uh, – I don't know if I've been trying to, but I've been sort of taking a wait-and-see kind of deal. Yeah. Um, just to you know, to see if it translates to a, a higher level of competition. See if it translates to you know, week four, week five, week six, when people know who he is and when you know he's played a couple games, taking some hits and things like that. Jeez, you know, I mean, it's that last run. He looked like Eddie George or something. I, I mean, I, I'm obviously exaggerating, but that's a big time run. That that was an unbelievable cut he made. 
they found something here. It it seems like I, I don't want to go out and say here that he's he's all of a sudden going to become Michael Bennett or Ron Dane or 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 Carlos Hyde or I, I, all these random running backs are now dancing in my head. Um, but damn, he was good. That's a deep cut, Brian. That's I call that a deep cut in the business. Yeah, he was good. He had another nice run earlier in the game too. Um, you know the coaches always talk about his shiftiness, how he's slippery. Jeff Brom called him fearless. Yeah, uh, I think we can all can attest to that. It's still not a real big guy, Brian. Uh, One ninety, but if you if you stand next to him, his, his upper body's not really developed. So uh, they're hope, hopeful to get him a little bit heavier and stronger, obviously moving forward here. But quite a find right now. And yeah, those final numbers, Brian, gonna look good if you had Devin Mockby in your fantasy league. Eleven carries, one hundred and twelve yards, a cool ten point two yards per carry. Of course, he had the touchdown too. Brian Purdue ran for 160 yards on 27 carries. Yeah. The average on was six yards a tote. So, and, you know, you look at Aiden O'Connell's numbers, 27 of 40, 199, a couple picks, uh, no touchdowns. Um, not great. Like I said, it just didn't look like he was really driving the ball. He had some really poor throws, especially on one of the interceptions where he overthrew T.J. Sheffield. So, uh, yeah, again, that's just my observation from 10,000 feet at the game, uh, it's hard to really catch everything, but didn't look like he was totally dialed in. But they won, Brian, off to Maryland. And I, I asked Coach Brom after the game, I asked Aiden O'Connell just to have some fun. Why not Purdue? Can you guys win the Big Ten West? And Aiden didn't shy away from it. He thinks they can. And I'm sure all the viewers are watching Big Ten games as, as this is being taped and they, they know the zaniness that's going on, who's lost, who's won. And Brian, that Big Ten West is as wide open as ever here as we get deeper into October. Yeah. Um, I know you just took us toward Maryland, but I'm going to keep talking about Devin Mockaby, damn it. Um, <laughs> you know, I think he can get better, too. I mean, I, I think that, you know, he still runs kind of upright. He still has a very kind of over-caffeinated running style that I think, yeah. you know, there are some things technically, there are some things uh, – Technique-wise, I think he can probably shore up a little bit and improve. I think he, he's a true freshman, right? Redshirt. Oh, he's a redshirt freshman. Okay. He's, he's still a young guy. He's still going to get bigger, stronger, faster yeah. as he gets in a weight program. If You know, hopefully they can keep him healthy. I'd, I'd like to see them throw throw the ball to the running backs more. I think that was a big thing that, that they did today that, that was effective. I thought Jeff Brom did a good job uh, taking what Minnesota was daring Purdue to do. Uh, yeah. You know, Purdue obviously wanted, or Minnesota obviously wanted to take away the deep balls, uh, try to make Purdue hit hit the ball over the middle a little bit. And when everybody drops, you run the ball. So they were basically saying, "We don't think you can beat us with the running game." And Jeff yeah. Brom said, "Hold my hold my tab." I don't want to say beer because he. I don't want to suggest that. He's, he's engaging any sort of conduct that he, he shouldn't be engaging in. But he, um, I think he did a good job being disciplined in his play calling and not getting impatient and trying to yeah. trying to force the ball down the field like I think all of his natural instincts would suggest he wants to uh, as a play caller. But I think uh, I th I th I think Devin Maccabee has been a has been kind of a revelation for this team. Um, mm -hmm. Does it translate to Maryland now? I mean, you know, consistency has been a thing for Purdue over the years here where you have one great game and then you come back the next week and you're not so hot. And um, then you go beat Ohio State and then a couple weeks later you go up to Minnesota and you get your doors blown off. Yeah. What do you expect to see next week? Do you think this is a 
do you think this is an enduring course correction here by Purdue, or do you think this was just their day? Yeah, you know, I, I thought given the veteran nature of this team when the season began, Brian, I thought they would be largely immune maybe to the roller coaster tumult um, that younger teams, less experienced teams can often experience. But uh, we've seen some of that already, so I'll be honest with you, I really have no idea. I, I think maybe sometimes going back on the road in this instance may be a good thing instead of coming home and, and they're going to get pats on the back and, and accolades, but uh, they got to go right back on the road. And uh, you can have that different type of uh, uh, circle the wagons mentality, if you will, when you're on the road and, and then probably will be an underdog again. And again, coming off a win like this, maybe that's what you need if you're Purdue to keep you grounded a little bit. Um, to go back on the road and play a Maryland team that's been pretty good this year, Brian. One of Michael Oxley's better teams, it looks like. they got a great quarterback, too. So, again, uh, having said all that, I think, again, maybe maybe there, there won't be that that wild swing in performance that sometimes have been trademarked to Jeff Brom's teams because of the circumstance of going back on the road. So it's going to be a big a noon kick, Eastern time in College Park. Uh, we'll, we'll see what the Boilers got. And um, – or opportunities laying right at their feet or if they can keep the momentum going. Yeah, I just thought Purdue looked like a more mature team today than they did the first month of the season. I, they didn't really do a whole lot to beat themselves. I know they overcame three turnovers, which is you yeah. know pretty hard to do, but I, I didn't think they beat themselves. That There weren't a lot of penalties. There was an offensive pass interference call that was harmful. There were a couple of uh, first down penalties that, that set them back, uh, but it wasn't discipline stuff. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't roughness around the edges stuff. And I, I just think Purdue looked like it knew much more today about what it takes to win as opposed to what you saw against, you know, Syracuse and Penn State and all that stuff. And even to a lesser extent, Florida Atlantic, even though they did win that game. So I, I do think maybe this was a turning point for Purdue. And, hey, uh, the Big Ten West is 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 what yeah. you said before. It's, you know, uh, Brett Bielema just pulled the ultimate troll job in, in Madison today. And um, yeah. Purdue goes up to Minnesota when Minnesota looks like they're on top of the world. And, yeah. you know, Iowa, you know, actually scored today. And uh, it just looks like a wide open division. Northwestern's not good. Nebraska. Nebraska's a mess, longing for the days of Adrian Martinez as he tears up everybody for Kansas State. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the good news about Illinois is they've already lost to Indiana, remember? So yeah. they've already got a loss. I'm not saying they're going to be in a position where that matters in a couple weeks, but I'm just saying it's the team that dominated Wisconsin today has already lost to Indiana. So uh, it it's a dart throw, right? I thought about that going down the elevator. I said, oh, my God, we, we, we were going over the Big Ten West, Big Ten, Big Ten teams in the Big Ten West, their records. Oh, my God, Illinois lost to Indiana. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, Brian, um, kind of on that same vein, Jeff Brom was talking in the postgame about the schedule they've had to play to date. You know, Penn State, Syracuse. I know Indiana State's nothing great or Florida Atlantic, but the point being that they've, had, they've been tested, right? They've had their fair share of adversity. And you kind of contrasted that with maybe playing cream puffs starting to feel good about yourself, patting yourself on the back. Uh, you don't really have growth mm -hmm. uh, as a team when you're in, in those games. That's uh, fun for fans, right? Shake their pom-poms and beat somebody 50 to nothing. But you don't really learn anything about your team. And Jeff Brom's team has already 
you know, skinned its knees and been forced to look itself in the mirror and try to figure some things out. And, and it's a painful process. Nobody wants to lose and do that. But uh, this seemed to be maybe one of those games where, you know, Brian, those early season losses, as tough as they were, Purdue had to hunker down and really look at itself, like I said, and you start making corrections. You start, you have to be resourceful. And, and I thought that was an interesting point that, 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 that he talked about today. Yeah, and you know, I, I said that after the Penn State game, and I, I, I think the opening line yeah. of my column was Purdue's going to be fine. Yeah, and I took a lot of you know what for that, but it, it's this is what I meant. Like playing Penn State right out of the gate, it makes you better. Yeah. Um, it didn't show up at Syracuse as much. It didn't necessarily show up against Florida Atlantic, but I think the other part of this is like look who they're look who they don't have right now too. I mean, there's a lot of guys who would be really helping them yes, who are not playing too. That's part of the adversity you're talking yeah. about. So that's what also makes this an even more impressive win, you know, because Jalen Graham would have made all the difference in the world against an offense like this. And they didn't need him because they played as good a game defensively as Purdue's played in years. I think uh, they shut out Boston college years ago, but Boston college couldn't throw the ball. Um, this is, I think they shut Boston college out. It doesn't matter. They just shut somebody out a couple yeah, weeks ago, but that's handling. Anyway, Purdue's playing without some real assets here, and I, I I think that's that's another part of it. Again, I want to mention that uh, Minnesota's playing without some assets here today too. That should not be overlooked in all of this, but it also shouldn't take anything away from what Purdue did because uh, this was a hell of a win for Purdue, and I think that uh, you know Purdue just kind of kind of has to carry it forward now. And uh, Tom, we have talked too long. Hey, okay, real, real, real quick, you mentioned Mitchell Finneran earlier. Quick hat tip to Mitchell for uh, for uh, delivering the day, right? 43-yarder, 25-yarder. Yeah. You know, uh, it's got to please everybody on that sideline to know old number 24 looks like he's dialed back in. Okay. Well, Tom, I know you have ice fishing to get back to. I do. What time is your flight tomorrow? Speaking from you, speaking you from the Bernie Beerman suite, I think. This is where Bernie Beerman probably would have watched games if he was alive today. That's the most Minnesota name I've ever heard. <laughs> That's a deep cut. <laughs> I got. I got. What time's your flight tomorrow? Six twenty. You're a sick man. <laughs> All right. Uh, I wish you safe passage back to the land of only a few lakes. Um, so take off, you hoser. Okay. <laughs> we'll right. do great. Thank going. you to the Purdue Union Club Hotel for your support. We appreciate it very much, and we will talk to you guys again. Next weekend, when Tom is in College Park, Maryland, with crab cake all over his face. Any other any other Mario's Maryland Maryland stereotypes you want to work in? They have, there's a big time bagel place there on Maryland's campus. If you're into bagels, it's called yeah, it's right. creatively named College Park Bagels. I think yeah. uh, it's right there on the corner. It's a pain in the ass to park at because they have this really weird parking lot. But there's there's a Target right by it. You can park outside the Target and walk over. Um, like College Park, it's it's a neat there campus. You go. Hey, College Park Bagels, if do you want to sponsor our podcast? Oh, right. we'll lead them we'll while we're while we're taping. We are getting silly here. So, thanks so much, everybody, for watching. Thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for everything. Have a good night. Got it. Hang on, one second.